You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. If you have your Bibles, if you could open them to Psalm 84, we are continuing summer in the Psalms, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 84 today, and Steffi is going to read it for us. This is Psalm 84, the word of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at the altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look at the face of your anointed. For, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The tower bestows, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm Zach. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to see you, all of you, new faces, uh, faces of people that have been here for a while. It's tempting to say old faces, but that probably doesn't (laughs) work so well. Um, But yeah, a couple housekeeping items before we dive in. Uh, First of all, it's a little fuller in here, which is awesome. Love that. Um, Love having one service. I I love one service. I love one service for, your, for all of us as a community as well, because we can just hang out after the service if you want, and fellowship and, and talk. That's a really important part of what the church is, is our relationships. Um, and so not just facing forward, but facing one another, right? Both are really important. And so when we have one service, we can just uh, spend as long as, as we want. And so all that to say is um, there's still lots of open seats uh, it might not feel that way, but like as you're coming in coming weeks, um, don't be afraid to sit down front. The Jordans here get the gold star for today. Thank you, Jordans. Uh, there's a whole row over here, over here, you know, so don't be afraid to sit, sit down close. And also don't be afraid to sit next to one another, okay? So like if there's one seat separating people, that's harder for people to want to like come plop down there, right? And so just a couple housekeeping things there so that we can hopefully continue to do one service well, and all be together in one service. Secondly, uh, we have an Ecuador trip coming up in October. There it is. See the dates? And, and uh, Steffi might highlight this, but I want to just give a push, too, because I've been there so often. Um, if you haven't been, we'd love to have you go. We have some open slots. Um, my question for you might not be, why should I go? But it should be maybe, why shouldn't I go? Um, is it worth... Maybe a small sacrifice of some vacation days 
or some money for the sake of what God is doing through this church among the nations and being a part of that, getting to taste and see that God is good through this thing that we're doing as a church. And so we would love to have you go. I'm convinced that when you travel internationally, it will give you, Matthias, you're in, buddy. If your dad's paying, it's good. You have a question? Right. That's true. But good, the good thing about this trip is they do feed you, okay? <laughs> Technically, we could survive a month without food. That's good. Um, God has made our bodies in amazing ways. Um, but on this trip, you get fed. And so that's a good thing. That's another reason why you should go, okay? And so we just want to highlight that for you this morning. Stephanie's probably going to have a little more information. Get in touch with James Davenport. Um, we'd love to have you, we'd love to have that trip filled, and, um, and it'll be a beautiful time, okay? So get in touch with James on that. All right, Psalm 84. One more disclaimer uh, before we dive in. This, this sermon this morning is going to be a little more straight teaching. Um, typically, we do a lot of illustrations and application points, and there may be some of that, but just so you're aware, like this is a little bit abnormal because there's some things that I just have to teach us this morning for us to make sense of this text and for us to make sense of the whole storyline of Scripture, okay? Really, really important. So lean in with me today, track with me, all right? Listen closely. I think there's some gems here this morning as we open up to Psalm 84. And Steffi read it for us. But I want us to look at it again. There's a lot we could say about this psalm, and typically I'm going to go through stuff verse by verse. That's kind of, it's called expository preaching. That's typically what we do at the Vine, okay? Love that. We're going to keep being committed to that. But today I want to look at the psalm a little differently, a little more thematically, okay? So what's the theme of Psalm 84? Let your eyes glance over it in your Bibles. And I think the psalm theme is found in the repeated word dwell or dwelling. God's dwelling or where he dwells. Look at verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place. Look at verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Now look at verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So what's, what's the psalmist here, this ancient worshiper of God? What's he telling us here? What's he showing us? He's showing us that he's passionate for the place where God is. He's passionate for the presence of God, right? He wants to be where God dwells, how lovely it is. Better is one day with you in your courts where your dwelling is than a thousand days elsewhere. That's illustrative metaphorical language to say, I'm really into where you are. I want to be in your presence, right? That's something we hear about a lot if you hang out in Christian culture, the phrase, the presence of God. 
We might sing about it, like being in your presence. We can say things like, man, I really felt the presence of God. The presence of God, it's something that comes up a lot in Christian speech sometimes. And my concern is that maybe we throw that term around a little bit, but we don't really know what it means. We're not really that precise about it, biblically, theologically, okay? And that's what I want us to unpack today. What do we mean by the presence of God, like the psalmist is talking about here? The dwelling of God, the presence of God, where he is. So let's start with the text. We got to understand them then before us now, right? If we wanted to apply this to our lives for today, we have to apply it first to them then, okay? So look at, look at verse 1 with me again. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So what is the psalmist thinking about here? We've talked about, he's thinking about the dwelling of God. He wants to be where he is. But where is that? Like, what's he thinking about? Is there an actual place, an actual location? What, the question for us is, or for you all tracking with this this morning, is where is the dwelling place of God for an Old Testament believer? Okay? 3,000 years ago, a few millennia ago, where's the dwelling place of God? And now's where we have to understand our biblical history, okay? So we're going to review the storyline of Scripture high level really fast, okay? Really important that we understand this, all right? So track with me now. Genesis chapter 12. God comes to this guy. His name is Abram, right? He says, I'm going to make of you a huge, massive people. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you my presence, and I'm going to give you a proactive mission. But it's got to start with you having some kids. And he laughs at God, and his wife laughs at him. Well, God does a miracle, they have kids. They were way too old to have kids. God does a miracle, they have kids. They have Isaac, and Isaac has some kids. And he has Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has 12 sons, right? And these people that God has started with Abraham, they keep having babies. And they become a huge people, right? And there's a famine And they have to move from where they were to the land of Egypt. And they keep having babies. And they keep living in Egypt. And they keep having babies. And the leader of Egypt gets really threatened because this people group is becoming strong and big. And so what he decides to do is to be an authoritarian dictator and enslave these people. And God uh, is not excited about that. And he says to this leader, you will let my people go. The leader says, no way, that's not going to happen. So God rescues them. You guys have heard this story probably unless you're brand new to your Bible, and that's totally fine. But the people of God are rescued from the hand of Pharaoh. Plagues, 
crossing the Red Sea, they are saved. Okay, they are now identified as God's saved people, his chosen people saved from Egypt. And he leads them out of Egypt. But what do they do now? Well, he says, I'm going to give you a land, a land of your very own with geographic boundaries, okay? The land, the nation of Israel. But before they get there, they're like this nomadic people. They're traveling around. And he says, here's what I want you to do so that you know that my presence, my dwelling is with you. Okay, this is what's, what's most important. I want you to hear this. He says, I'm going to have you make a tabernacle. And you can read about this in Exodus 40. A tabernacle, a huge tent, very ornate, but it's mobile. And wherever you go, I'm going to show you that I'm with you by sometimes showing up in that tabernacle. My presence is going to be tangibly felt by you, my chosen people, showing up after you erect this huge tent, this huge, beautiful tabernacle that's mobile, I'm going to show up there. My presence will be with you in the tabernacle. So Old Testament mindset, God shows up in the tabernacle, okay? Now, many years later, God gives them the land that he promised. They're no longer nomads, Okay, we're moving fast through Old Testament history. Hang with me, all right? And they get their land. Lot goes down before they get the land. They get the land, and God says, no more mobile tents. Now it's going to be permanent, or so they thought. It's going to be this a beautiful temple. No more tabernacle. Now it's going to be a temple. Fixed, beautiful, huge. You can read First, uh, first Kings 8. The inauguration of the temple. It's a big deal for God's Old Testament people. And he shows up again in miraculous ways. His presence is in the temple, and God's people know that God is with us. He shows up in this place. He chooses. Of course, God can't be contained by walls and all this stuff, but he condescends to them, his presence shows up, and they see him, and they know God is with us because he shows up for us in this building called the temple in our land. And so Old Testament mindset, where does God show up? Where does he dwell? Psalm 84. Two places, historically. The tabernacle and the temple. Okay? That Old Testament overview is just for you to understand this. From the perspective of the Old Testament believer, God's dwelling place was either the tabernacle or the fixed temple, okay? So we got to know that history for this psalm to make sense. This is what the psalmist is thinking. He wants to be where God is. How awesome it is to be in your presence, God. To go to the temple for an ancient Jewish person was a high privilege. But here's the deal for us as we kind of move into our neighborhood now. Fast forward a few millennia. We don't have a fixed temple anymore, do we? 
Or maybe we do. A lot has changed in Christianity since this psalm was written. So how do we make sense of this psalm for us today? Here's the key question for us. How is the presence of God felt and cherished with the same emotions as this psalmist has? How is the presence of God felt and cherished with the same emotions as this psalmist had? How can we read this psalm as a Christian? We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a a fixed geographic building, temple. So that's what we're going to understand in the rest of our time today. So let me give you the answer, and then I'm going to seek to persuade you from the Bible, okay? Here's the answer. The presence of God, as Christian history moves on, the presence of God is most clearly seen in Jesus and in us, his church. The presence of God is most clearly seen in Jesus and in us, his people, his church. So how do we know that Jesus is the ultimate presence of God? ton of cool, really, really cool fulfillment that Jesus does in the New Testament. I'm just going to show you two, okay? Uh, You don't need to flip there because we're going to flip around a little bit in our Bibles, but you'll see it on the screen, and you might want to make a note of this because this this is like a landmark text in the New Testament, and it's John chapter 1. And John is writing about Jesus showing up physically on the scene of history, and he says in verse 14, the word, he's referring to Jesus here, Jesus is the word, the word of God, and the word became flesh, so we saw God physically, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, it's really hard to see this in English. This is why it's really great to know Greek or have study tools that help you see the Greek or have someone who knows the Greek explain it to you. I don't know Greek. I have people explain this to me, and now I'm explaining it to you. Okay, check out this this word dwell in the Greek literally means tabernacled, okay? Dwell means tabernacled. What is John saying? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He's cueing them using Old Testament language to illustrate what he's trying to say here. That for an Old Testament believer, what what happens in the tabernacle? Presence of God. And he's saying, in Jesus, now is the presence of God. He tabernacled among us. The word is God. Jesus is the word of God. He is God. And he tabernacled among us. God with us. One more. 
You just got to flip over a page in your Bible or look on the screen. It's a little longer, but this is really beautiful. 2.13 of, uh, of John. <clears throat> the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, all right, so we're in the temple now. Remember what we said about the temple in the Old Testament? And in the New Testament here. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus said to him, oh, I'm sorry, so the Jews said to him, they're upset. Why are you causing a scene here, Jesus? What sign do you show us for doing these things? So who gave you the right? Who do you think you are is basically what they're saying. If you show us a sign, that means that you have authority. If you show us a, a, a miraculous sign, that will indicate to us that you actually have authority to do this because because you're, you're doing miracles. Jesus answered them, check it out, destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. Jews don't get it. His opponents don't get it. The Jews then said, looking at the physical temple, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he, that he had said this, and they believed the scripture. So we see it again. Jesus is saying, this, this physical building, it's over. It's done. I am the temple. I am the presence of God. I am the place of worship of God. You don't go to a, a building anymore. You go to me, is what he's saying. You want to get God? You don't go there. You want to dwell with God? You don't go there. You go to me. You go through Jesus in his authority and his advocacy and his atonement for sin to worship God. So what's the implication for us that connects to this psalm? To rejoice in the dwelling of God, like the psalm says in Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place. I'd rather be a day in your courts, the, the amazing courts of the ancient Old Testament temple. I'd rather be there than a thousand days elsewhere. New Testament, I'd rather hang out with Jesus. I want to be where Jesus is than a thousand days elsewhere. You with me? We don't go to a physical location anymore. We go to Jesus. So application, you can see why your Bible reading, your Bible intake is so important. That's one way that we get Jesus, the presence of Jesus in his word that he has ordained. God has revealed himself. Jesus has revealed himself in his word and so we commune with him in his word. The Bible says, Hebrews 4.12, it's living and active. This is not a normal book. This is unique. This is the word of God. 
So we get to know Jesus through how he has revealed himself in his scripture. It's also why prayer is so important. We relate to Jesus when we talk to him. Jesus, I need you right now. I don't know what to do. Jesus, would you help me by your spirit right now? I've got to make this decision. I'm not sure what to do. I feel paralyzed. Would you help me right now? That's going, that's going to the temple. Jesus is the temple, right? But today, in 2022, Jesus physically is no longer with us, right? And he said to his disciples as much. He said to his disciples, it's better for you that I go away. This is John 17, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It's better that I, no, it's not John 17. Anyway, um, it's better that I go away, better that I go away so that the helper can come. What was he talking about? The Holy Spirit, okay? So moving through biblical history, tabernacle, temple, Jesus comes. He says that he is the temple, Right? But he's going away physically. We only could see him physically for 33 years. But he says, that's a good thing because I'm going to go away. And as Christian history moves on, something else is going to happen. It happens in Acts chapter 2, the sending of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Huge deal in your Bible, Acts chapter 2. The Spirit descends on the first believers and amazing things happen. But the point is, Christians now, after coming to Jesus in repentance and faith, believing that he laid down his life to forgive us of our sins, that he was raised from the dead to prove it all true, everything he said, everything he'd done, when we come to him in faith and repentance, we're indwelt, the Bible says we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So now let's see how all this fits together. With Jesus not present physically, where is the presence of God today, Madison 2022? 1 Corinthians 3. Look at what Paul says. Writing to the church in Corinth some 2,000 years ago, he's thinking about the church. Do you not know that you are, you, this is plural, not singular. He's writing to a group of people. Do you not know that you all, ancient Corinthian believers, are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you, just like tabernacle, temple, Jesus. It's true of you now. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. It doesn't get much clearer. Where's the presence of God? Where's the temple presence of God in the world today? Turn around and look at each other. You're looking at it. So what does Psalm 84 then mean for us? 
You want to experience the presence of God? You want to know where he dwells? How lovely is your dwelling place? Make the gathering of God's people your priority. You experience the presence of God and know that he's alive? Look to the church. Like we carry in our very being, according to the authority of God's word, the presence of God. You're called to display to the world and for us to one another the presence of God, right? He is alive in us by his spirit that dwells in us. See 1 Corinthians 3. His new dwelling place is not a physical temple or a mobile tent. It's the temple of his people. He indwells us now. We are the presence of God in the world. So that's why soaking in his word and singing about his truth and reminding one another of who he is, praying to him, God is alive in us when we exhibit the fruit of this spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We show people what God is like to the degree that we do those things, right? People get to see what God is like. We practice repentance and forgiveness. I forgive you because God has forgiven me. This is what God is like. I can be a forgiving person because God is forgiving. He's alive in my, in my heart. I can't do this on my own. You think I'm just going to like forgive somebody after I've been wronged? No, that's not what humans do. See human history for all time, right? We destroy each other. But if God's spirit is alive in us, and it is, then there's the power to forgive. I mean, that's just one example, right? But here's the objection. I'm just going to close with this. Here's the big objection. I'm thinking it. Y'all are thinking it probably. The church is messed up, right? It doesn't look like God. It doesn't look like all these good things. Like, man, my word, we've got sexual abuse scandals. Catholic, Protestant, everyone's guilty. We've got false teaching in our churches. I mean, we have the capacity to look like the opposite of God's presence, right? We don't have to, like, be dishonest about that. I mean, have you read the Old Testament? The same with them, too, right? They have the very presence of God, and then all of a sudden, run into a little bit of challenge, and like, oh, there's this golden calf over here. That looks good, too, Right? They're no, they're no different from us. We're no different from them. So I think this is why, and I'm going to give you one more text. I think this text is kind of the answer to that. We show God to the world and to one another to the degree that we do 1 John 3. Look at what it says. And this is his commandment. Again, remember, John is writing to ancient churches, ancient believers. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 
Whoever keeps his commandments, here's the key word, abides. I think abides, I could be wrong here, but I think this is good. Abides is very similar to dwelling. Like, I'm abiding in Christ. John 15, uh, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given unto you. That's a form of abiding, like Abide in me, I abide in you. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. What does that mean? Connected. There's, there's, a, there's a dwelling together, right, that abiding is. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, dwells in God, and God in him. See that there? The connection, the dwelling together. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. So yes, the church does not look like the presence, the beautiful presence of God all the time. But to the degree that we do these verbs, check out the verbs. Believe, love, keep. See it? The degree that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, but not just intellectual. It's going to look like something in the world. It's going to look like loving and keeping his commandments. Loving God, loving others, and obedience. Loving God, loving others, and obedience. To the degree that we do that by the, what? By the Spirit who indwells us. If I'm loving God and I'm loving others and I'm obeying God, I know that God's Spirit is alive in me. Am I doing that perfectly? No. That's why we have the gospel. That's why we have repentance and, and faith in King Jesus. But to the degree that I'm doing what John is asking all believers post-resurrection of Jesus and the giving of the Spirit to do that's the temple presence of God in, uh, and alive in this church today. Believe, love, keep. Believe, love, keep. And when this happens, over and over again, throughout Christian history until Christ returns, people will, will, will open up Psalm 84. And now you can know how to read this as a Christian. God, your dwelling place is so good. Blessed are those who dwell in your house singing your praise. Like, we just got done singing beautiful songs this morning. You guys sing really well. That's the presence of God among us. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Like, to the degree that we do John 3, it's so good to come to church, Right? Who doesn't want to be in a place where, where love is shared and, and all the commands of, of, of God are not burdensome, they're just a joy. Like we read in our city groups last week, Psalm 119, and your words are like life and truth. It's not burdensome to do what you say, it just gives glory to you and makes my life better, right? Church is beautiful. Dwelling with God's people is beautiful, where I don't want to be somewhere else. I want to be right here. I want to be with your people, because that's where the presence of God is. That's what church is supposed to look like. That's what we want at the vine. That's what we're shooting for. And so I, I ask us, man, let's keep doing this. Let's keep doing it together, knowing that, man, there's such rich biblical history that we walk in Stand on the shoulders of and move into the future with, for the sake of God's glory and our joy, 
Let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it shapes us, orients us. Um, Lord, thank you that you mysteriously dwell among your people in ways that are so beautiful when we submit to you, listen to you, love you, love one another deeply. May it be so. May, may this church and every church in the city and around the world that names you believe these things so that your church can be a dwelling place that is beautiful for everyone to see. In Jesus' name, amen.